Last year, I did a podcast on Memorial Day called a Memorial Day message where I talked about, and some people didn't like this, and that's fine. Most of them were idiots anyway, about what Memorial Day really is, who it's really for, the things you should and shouldn't do. And you should go back and listen to that if you're curious or not sure. If somebody doesn't understand, perhaps you should share that with them. I think that's important. This year, I thought I'd tell you a war hero story, a real war hero, somebody I actually know. And to start off, it's actually to explain a little bit about why I joined the military in the first place. I came from a family of people like many that were in the military. I had a grandfather who fought in Germany during World War II. I had a great uncle who was a Marine. And if there was an island they made a movie about in the Pacific, he was there as an artilleryman. He even got himself a war hero medal, as we would call it, for the average person. And then I have another grandfather. And before I go further, I'll say this is why I was so passionate about what I did. Why, when I changed my MOS, as cool as I always said it sound, I chose to be human intelligence collector, which at the time was called an interrogator. And my primary mission, most of the time I was deployed, was looking for a couple of missing soldiers from the 10th Mountain Division back in the 0708 time frame. Now, the bodies of those soldiers were found, and at the time we knew, although it's not something you talked about, there was no reason to believe they were still alive. Been gone on for so long. And I don't regret anything I did, but I did mainly for one individual that I had a lot of respect for. I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old when this first started where my grandfather would come. He lived in the mountains, not too far from us, had a cabin, worked at a restaurant, did a lot of fishing, and I would spend my summers with him. I don't really know how long I was there for. It always seemed like all summer, and I loved it. We would go camping, stay at campgrounds, hike up creeks, take the raft out and hit a lake or a pond, catch a lot of fish, a lot of the areas we went to were stocked. I was young. He did it for me. I remember being on the river, and he caught, I think, one fish. He had two or three that got away, and I caught 17. I remember that. Not realizing I could throw them back. And of course, we gave a lot of weight to people, but I didn't care. I was like, let's eat fish every day. I loved it. It was a great time. Did it many times until I was probably 15 or 16. Then later on, he got sick. I remember going up there to get him. It was kind of funny. He needed to go to the doctor. Being a veteran, he had to go to the VA. We were loading up the truck. I remember him grabbing this uh, paper sack like you'd get at the grocery store full of cartons of cigarettes. I remember he always had money, too. He had this, like, envelope thing I couldn't tell anybody about that was in his car. And then when we needed to get groceries or whatever we were doing, he'd go and pull this thing out and pull out a bunch of $100 bills to go shopping. And then when we took him in, Found out he had cancer, found out he had lost vision in one of his eyes. He'd probably had a stroke a couple years earlier. Things went downhill fast. He lived with us for a while, then he lived with my uncle, mainly because he was closer to the VA hospital, not because it was a better situation other than that, but it was better for him to be there. And then I remember talking to him not long before he died. And the way I took it, it was almost like we're all going in to get a chance to speak to him. Like maybe he knew he was going to die. I'm not really sure. One of the things he said to me that always stuck with me was he said, you know, when a man's looking at his life, when he's going to die, he only ever really says two things. When he looks back on every decision, everything he does, he says either, I wish I would have, or I'm glad I did. And I've used that as a gauge for decisions I have made or I'm going to make, mostly towards the decisions I'm going to make, or the outcomes of I wish I would have or I'm glad I did. I remember telling him I joined the army and he had told me some stories and some 
more significant stories and why being an officer was a better plan than being an enlisted based on his experiences during World War II. And then I left for the Army back in the late 90s, and I was in my AG unit waiting to go to basic training when I found out he had died. And because I was a brand-new soldier, they didn't let me go home for it. And weren't required to, but I imagine if I was already trained and in a unit, I probably would have got to go or at least taken leave. So I understand that. But the point of the story is to understand what a real war hero is. There's a lot of people out there with good stories of real war heroes. This is just the one I know from somebody I know personally is about my grandfather. While serving in the Army, he was only an E3 at the time. Very low rank in the military. He was stationed in the Philippines. And he worked with mines, mines in the water. I don't remember exactly what his title was. I don't know if it had to do with putting mines in or checking the mines or getting rid of mines. But that's part of what his job was in the Army at the time. MacArthur left the Philippines at one point with the famous line, I shall return. And it was in April of, I believe, 42, when the Japanese came there and took it over and captured thousands of Filipinos and several thousand American troops, which led to them being put on trains and eventually taking a very long walk called the Bataan Death March, which variations change a little bit, but it's somewhere between 62 and 69 miles, and most people say 70 miles. During this time frame... While, of course, historical records vary a little bit, people that were there talk about the people that were killed, potentially thousands of Filipinos and several hundred Americans before putting in prisoner war camps. Japan surrendered around August of 45, I believe. So those that were captured in 42 really were in custody and in camps for almost three and a half years, which my grandfather was one. Now, interestingly enough, one of the things we always hear about, we've heard a lot in the last few years, we still hear it now is about how many soldiers commit suicide every day, problems with the VA system, the stigma about sinking mental health counseling when you're on active duty. Some places have gotten better in that. A lot of it has to do with individual commanders, but there's still a downside to it, no matter what they want to say in public. And despite all the bad things that go on and how much it affects people today, there's a lot more available now. Now, am I saying it's good or perfect? No, I've experienced some of my own issues in that system that need to be fixed. But I want to put a little contrast on it to make sure that you understand the differences of how mental health, PTSD, and wartime affected what we call the greatest generation. My grandfather went to three different POW camps during his time in almost three and a half years, and he had several stories to tell about it. One of his stories I've told before is about how him and a guy he made friends with, in the time period he figured he was probably captive for about a year and a half, but he wasn't sure. He never really figured it out. Where at this point, based on the labor they were supposed to perform and how they looked, they weren't too dissimilar from in appearance in a lot of ways. Some of them, but not all of them, to some of the pictures we see of people put in prisoner war camps by the Germans during the Holocaust that were Jews, gypsies, and Poles. This isn't to compare anybody's experience or say one worse than another. It's just to tell you the experience of one person I know who told me a lot of stories, some of which I never repeat. He made a friend with an individual, and there was a guard shack, as they knew it, that had been left unattended. And inside, there was about a half a bottle of sake and a loaf of bread. Being completely starved, malnourished, and completely hungry, they didn't care about the consequences. They took it, and they drank the sake some of it, and ate all the bread. And then they were, of course, found by the Japanese soldiers, at which point they started to, of course, beat their ass. 
and after getting beaten and yelled at, they eventually passed out. Upon waking up, found himself surrounded by several of these soldiers trying to get him to stand up and then would hit him until he fell down with weapons, buttstocks, their fists, whatever, threatening him and scaring him. And the thing was, at this point, they were so far gone, they didn't do anything that we would call typical torture, as people know it, or cutting them, shooting them. They didn't kill them, but they would just beat them again until they passed out. He said at some point he realized that this happened during the day, but it was nighttime, but the soldiers were still standing there. And they beat him again, beat him until they passed out. He tried to keep track of it every time it happened. He hasn't any idea how many times it happened, but he'd wake up, sun was out. Beat him again, beat him, hit him, kick him, humiliate him. He knew he had broken bones, probably broken ribs, figuring he was going to die, but not wanting to. His best guess was this went on so many times that it probably covered a period of two, three days. He accepts the fact that mentally it could have been a few hours and could have been a week, but he figured it went on for a couple of days. And that was his punishment until he woke up in the hole one day. Now, this isn't his only story. Some of them are as severe and some are more severe than stories I've heard from people in prisoner war camps in Japan, Germany, or during the Holocaust. Although God knows how many stories we've never heard. And unfortunately, people during the Holocaust were put through so much more massive death, torture, and disgrace than American troops were, but they were not treated well. And remember that in today's military, while this sometimes happens where people get captured or they disappear for a while or they're in fear for their life and these guys are complete heroes, we all see them as heroes no matter what they did. His experience was a little different once he was liberated or found or released, however it happened, compared to today in this sense. This is the contrast to the story. He's eventually given back to American troops. Now, I don't know the details. He never talked about it. everything that happened from the time he was liberated to the time he left the military. But there's things we can imagine. He's liberated. He's found by American troops. Going to be provided some health care. Of course, he's malnourished. Going to try to bring him back in a healthy way. May have been mental health counseling back then. I don't know. If there was, I doubt it was anything like it is today. Not to mention the entire process of everything involving his pay to leaving the military. Now, one thing we've seen now with people that have been captured, no matter what their situations were, whether it was legit or perhaps they were court-martialed for different reasons, one of the things that they receive, which is completely fair, is based on their time length, they're given historical automatic promotions based on their time at service that would make sense. That didn't happen back then, at least not to them. When he left the military for three years, three and a half years in captivity, he still left the military as an E3. So that didn't happen. Now people get POW medals. And while medals are in that sense given to people for achievement, some people say, well, you deserve a POW medal. I don't know that that medal saying you deserve it's appropriate because you didn't deserve what you got to get you to that point. But he did get a POW medal. Did he get any other medals? No. Some people do today. This is a discussion about whether or not that's fair or not. It's just to put in contrast the time difference and things that happen. But here's the thing that a lot of people don't know that might put into perspective the situation of the time frame. No matter what happened to him from the time he was liberated till the time he left the military, it was only about a month. 
Within a month, he was given a bunch of back pay, no promotion, a POW medal, very little medical care and sent on his way. And he had to live the rest of his life like that. That's how it went for him. And he had to live every day remembering all these things that happened to him. Does that make it better or worse than veterans today? Of course not. Of course it does not. Mental trauma is significant and severe no matter what it is. But it's to understand that it was a different time, different things happened. And while there are so many things wrong in the system today that helps veterans or doesn't help veterans, it was way worse back then. Does that make it okay for what happens today? No, so many improvements need to be made. But when I live through Memorial Day, I don't celebrate it. I live through it. I think about my grandfather. He's the reason I joined the military. He's the reason I got passionate about finding these missing soldiers that potentially, although captured, probably were dead but could still be alive. There was always hope there. But to realize that there's a difference between that time frame and now and what the future holds. PTSD is a real thing. Many of us live with it and work through it day by day. Not to make a comparison to other issues people have, but there are many people out there that are addicts, especially alcoholics, that talk about how they are only sober a day at a time. And there's people with PTSD that live that way. This is part of the reason why I made the message I did last year about understanding what Memorial Day is. When you want to celebrate veterans, you celebrate them on Veterans Day. Memorial Day is not a day where you go and tell people happy Memorial Day or get them to understand why they're important or why you see them as a hero. It's completely inappropriate. We don't like it. Memorial Day is not for you. I don't care about store discounts or the days you get off or getting time and a half or double time pay. It's meant for us. It's meant for those that survived and those who didn't. And that's what it's really for. I think it's great that it's a holiday and people get time off and we have barbecues and maybe we save some money somewhere buying some cool stuff. I don't blame businesses and organizations for taking advantage of those situations. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But just remember Memorial Day today is about the veterans, those that survived and those that did not. And realizing that sometimes... In some situations, there's reasons why we think of those who didn't make it as being the lucky ones and those who survived as not being the unlucky ones. Don't use this opportunity to say you're sorry or to tell them happy Memorial Day. Just let us be. Talk to us. See what's going on. The only ones that have the right or the inclination to even approaching those subjects with a veteran is another veteran. It does not help the situation no matter how much you love somebody or care about them. To take Memorial Day is your opportunity to reach out to them. If you're that close to them, you should be doing it anyway. Don't diminish that by trying to look at one holiday as a reason to make that phone call you didn't make the rest of the year. You want to celebrate veterans? You do it on Veterans Day. Memorial Day is for us. Veterans Day is for everybody else.